0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 27th of July 2021.
0: And Norman, as we said yesterday, no death from COVID should be taken lightly. But the death of a woman in her 30s has really, I think scared a lot of people. And we had a question from Lily asking a question on, I think, a lot of people's minds. Does the death of this woman in her 30s suggest that Delta is more deadly among young people compared to other strains? Or is it just the fact that more young people are being infected, so maybe the chances of someone dying among that group is higher?
1: Well, I think it's both. Well, not quite both. So it's that young people are the dominant age group in terms of people being infected, but they always have been since the beginning of the pandemic. It tends to affect younger people more because they're ones that are out circulating in the community more than older people. So that's the first thing. But it seems to be more dominant in younger people this time around, and that's partly because older people are more immunised and therefore the virus is escaping into younger groups to find somewhere to spread. But the second thing is that it is becoming clear that Delta is a more virulent virus. So just to be clear in the terminology, contagious means it's more infectious, virulent means it's nastier, more likely to cause disease and death.
0: That is so interesting, though, because I remember talking at the beginning of the pandemic when I was interviewing virologists and people who study evolution of viruses and that sort of thing, and they said that it's really common for viruses to get more transmissible because that helps them survive and continue infecting more people, but that viruses don't generally become worse in terms of the disease that they cause.
1: That's true, because the virus through evolution it 's got no brain of its own, but through an evolutionary process learns to live learns is anthropomorphizing but you know what I mean through evolution evolutionary forms of the virus learn to are, are ones which live with us to a d- decent degree so it can't become too fatal otherwise it just wouldn't spread and yes, it, the pattern over time but it 's often through decades and hundreds of years that you get this change to a lesser virulence over time. What's happening here? Yeah, it is a bit counterintuitive. So it's not so much, at least on current data, that it's more virulent in younger people. The Delta virus seems more virulent overall. And there's a preprint, in other words, a not yet peer-reviewed study from Ontario in Canada looking at virulence. And their estimates are that the Delta variant had a hundred percent increase one hundred and twenty percent increase for hospitalisation two hundred and eighty seven percent increased. Uh, likelihood of ICU admission and 137% increased risk of death. So those are fairly significant increases in virulence. So we're not seeing that necessarily with hospitalisation in New South Wales. It's still about 10%, which is what it's been pretty much since the beginning of the pandemic. But we are definitely seeing higher rates of ICU admission. And it's probably on low numbers still too early to say about death, but we are seeing significant numbers of deaths for the number of cases that we've had. How
0: does that balance with the fact that we're probably better at treating the illness now than we were when it first emerged?
1: This goes right back to when we started talking about this virus at the beginning of the pandemic. How come that young... Remember, we talked about that young ophthalmologist in Wuhan and how he died and he seemed to have serious, severe illness. The dose of the virus that you get is actually... is, is actually a determinant of how severe a disease you're going to experience. So it may be that the virus itself, particle for particle, is actually not that more virulent. But the fact is that you've got a virus being produced in massive amounts in people, um, some people have said a thousand times greater amounts numbers than you had before, and that when you catch it, you're catching a walloping dose of the virus, and therefore you're more likely to get serious disease. So it may well be, and this and this is where um, it kind of fits with the theory, is that it may well be, funnily enough, not, there's nothing funny about it, less virulent as, you know, by viral particle to viral particle. But because it, you get it in such large doses, because the body's producing more of it, it is more virulent. And that's what could be going on here.
0: So what does that mean for how we protect ourselves against it for vaccination? At the moment, our eligibility for, for the vaccines hasn't, I mean, it's, it's changed a little bit, but it hasn't really changed in a great uh, detail.
1: So there's two things. One is social distancing, it means that social distancing is even more important with this virus than with previous forms of the virus because you're producing it in such large amounts and you just got to keep people separated and fairly radically separated so it doesn't spread. In terms of immunisation, the immunisation rates also from a, a recent Canadian study show that in fact the performance of the vaccines is even higher. So the performance of Astra and Pfizer are even higher than predicted. So we talked about a British study last week when renewing the Journal of Medicine, which showed 67% rather than 60%, which is what we thought, for two doses of the Astra. The Canadian data would suggest that Astra is performing even better than that. So the the good news here is with two doses, it is able to not only prevent severe disease very well, it's, it's good at preventing any disease, and it's also you know, relatively good at preventing infection of any kind. So when you're vaccinated, there's going to be less virus around. But it's fighting against a big battle here because the battle is Delta produces a lot of virus in individual bodies.
0: Right, which is part of the reason why it's so transmissible, which is, of course, why Sydney is in its extended lockdown at the moment and Victoria as well. Although it looks like maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel for Victoria.
1: You're right. And Victoria has gone down to zero cases for the last couple of days. Um, I don't know what today's going to show. Uh, in terms of there'll be no cases out in the community when they've, been, when they've turned positive. Everybody who's become positive has been in isolation, which is exactly what you want. Whereas in New South Wales, the running average keeps on going up in terms, not fast, but steadily up in terms of the number of people who are totally in the community and partly in the community infectious.
0: And Victorians are waiting today to find out what's going to happen with their lockdown. We're expecting some news later today. And a strange case, Norman, in Queensland yesterday, a man who had spent the two weeks in hotel quarantine after coming in from overseas, tested negative the whole time through, and then tested positive after coming out. We don't know yet, but it sounds like perhaps another breach of hotel quarantine in terms of uh, another person who's contracted the virus in hotel quarantine.
1: It sounds like it. So his CT value, which is how many times they've got to replicate the RNA, was high initially, which means there wasn't very much virus, and they had to keep on going, multiplying it in the PCR test to find out to get the positive result. And then a subsequent test showed a lower CT, which means there was more virus. So he went from low virus to more virus. That suggests recent infection.
0: And a question from our audience. So we get a lot of questions from people about how quickly it takes, how quick it is that the vaccine starts working in your body. And Andrew has phrased his question in a very... I don't know. I really liked it. So Andrew says, say you got the vaccine and then 30 seconds later, a shark bit off your arm. Uh, Andrew says, I'm not sure who thought it would be a good idea to bring sharks to vaccination hubs, but anyway. Andrew's saying, would the vaccine still be effective? Does enough of the vaccine stuff happen in your arm that you'd need another dose? How long does it take after the vaccine goes into your arm for it to take full effect in the rest of your body? For example, if the shark waited 10 minutes before biting your arm off, would that be long enough?
1: I would have thought if you went swimming about 10 days after your immunisation and the shark broke off your arm, then you'd be in pretty safe territory. Not good territory, but safer territory in terms of immunisation.
0: I think what Andrew's really asking though is like, where does the vaccine go after it goes into your muscle in your arm?
1: Good question. So this is a very, you know, very interesting question because we're dealing with vaccines that really haven't existed before. These vaccines like the mRNA and the viral vectors, which send a genetic message into the cell, and then the cell starts to produce uh, the antigen itself. And really what's happening is that slowly the vaccine will spread in different parts of the body, but particularly through the lymph nodes and through the immune system. And I'm not sure it's been absolutely described about which cells do most of the production of the virus, but the um, essentially it goes into various cells. But a key part of any vaccine is actually going into the immune system through the lymph nodes. And you've got this lymphatic drainage from the muscle, which goes to the armpit and elsewhere in the body.
0: Every time I talk to an immunologist and ask them a question, the first two words they always say are, it's complicated. And then they give you an answer. So it's complicated.
1: Yeah, essentially this, these vaccines get taken up into cells um, before the immune system recognises them. And the idea here is, In fact, you don't want the immune system to pick up the vaccine. You want the vaccine to get in under cover of night, to get into cells, and then the cells are told to produce the spike protein. And that's what the immune system recognizes and takes the message back to the lymph nodes and elsewhere for it to be integrated into immune memory. And um, one of the problems with the viral vector vaccines is that there's a risk that the immune system recognizes the vaccine, in which case... It will be taken up into the lymph nodes and the immune system and partly destroyed, which loses its effect. And so you, you, you basically want this to happen all under cover of night. So it goes into general cells in the body to be produced, uh, for the spike protein to be produced and the immune system to react to it.
0: Our bodies are incredible machines and scientists are incredible hackers of those machines. They are. Well, that's all we've got for time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question, it doesn't have to be shark related, but we love it if it is. You can send it to abc.net.au slash coronacast.
1: And you can sit and listen to me failing my immunology exams. There's no (laughs) doubt all the immunologists listening will be writing in to tell us the right answer tomorrow, save me actually doing my homework. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: See you then.